Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast that focuses in on teamwork, leadership, and culture, where once a week, by listening to the Teamwork Advantage, we offer you impactful ideas that you can use immediately, not just in your professional life. A lot can be used in your personal life as well, whether we're talking with children, whether we're talking with spouses, whether we're talking about uh, religious groups and affiliations, whether we're talking your homeowners association, teamwork, leadership, and culture abounds everywhere. Today, we're fortunate to have with us a guest, Mike Horn from the San Francisco Bay Area. And Mike is a visionary advisor and leader and partner to those working on complex people and with complex people, uh, group and organizational challenges. Mike opens the door for many people to be and do their absolute best. That's key, folks, because today we've got to be focusing on our best to help us become better team players as well as team leaders. He's also called a change maker who works with a deep sense of confidence and dedication. He's the author of the book called Integrity by Design, Working and Living Authentically. We're going to talk a lot about integrity today. His focus about being authentic and leading from a place of high integrity. Please welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, Mike Horn. Greg, I'm delighted to be here with you today. Uh, thanks. It's heard so much about Teams Rock and I uh, just look forward to all of our discussions today about authenticity and particularly how it relates to teamwork and leadership and culture and organizations, because yeah. it is all about bringing your best to who you, to what you do. Absolutely. And it's so funny because over the years I've done trainings and I've had people, oh, that's stupid. That's mumbo jumbo. It's not. There is a lot of science behind this. And when we tie these three together, like a Venn diagram, it's powerful. There's no doubt. Yeah, and I'm not so sure it's even science. Of course, you know, I've got a doctorate in organization behavior. We can talk about science. At one point in my life, I was running a data analytics uh, uh, function about people decisions. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think it's a feeling that we create in people, right? Yes. It's, it's how you feel at the end of uh, the meeting, how you feel at the end of the event, how you feel at the end of... Uh, the year when it comes to uh, your performance. So right. I think it's as And if we've released the right endorphins and cortisols and everything of that nature, so then it goes back to a little of the science that we've been able to help release all that stuff. There you go. Perfect. That's, <laughs> that's a great time. Uh, it's fascinating. I worked with a group of neurosurgeons in uh, 2019, and they were absolutely amazed at how I tied all that together with the science part. So let's, let's get started here a little bit with you and your background. I mean, you didn't just pop out of the bubble and you're going to be a human resources professional. Tell us a little bit about the early days of my coin. Well, what I've noticed in my career is that people always perform best when someone cares about them. And that caring comes out of a place of authenticity. Someone who is uh, comfortable at, in his or her own skin and is aware of the process of the person they're capable of becoming, and how they affect and impact others. So that's the observation that I've made. And I think as I trace that to different parts of my life, when I was a teenager, 
you're not going to believe this. I, uh, I uh, protested alongside Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez in the lettuce boycotts and uh, was involved in that. And that led me to a career in labor relations. Uh, so I had an undergraduate degree in labor relations. But, you know, and I got a job eventually in labor relations. But a few years after doing uh, contract negotiations, grievance handling, I realized there had to be a better way. In some ways, we were all scripted by playing roles uh, that we had. So I moved into the learning and organization development and uh, change world, worked for a couple of uh, big consulting firms, but also sprinkled in there. Uh, I, I um, uh, met my wife uh, and we went into the Peace Corps. Can you believe that? Wow. Um, Jointly. So that. That's interesting. Yeah, we did that for about three years. And if you really want to get to know another person, it's probably a great way to start a, ma a marriage. We had one of those Peace Corps experiences where, you know, we were really in the fourth world uh, in some respects, just by the distance of geography uh, that was created in the Solomon Islands. Now, I've so, known people who have met their spouse through Peace Corps, but I've yeah. never known someone who was married and then they went into Peace Corps together. That's well, fascinating. Like six weeks later. So um, we both fulfilled some dream there. So I think it was really, you know, having an opportunity then later as a consultant traveling around the world, advising uh, uh, global corporations and, and leaders, it was uh, an ability to begin to see the impact that with folks, with leaders who exercise their strengths and their talents. And that's what I'm about today is really helping people uh, to do that who are leading through transitions you know, there's so much change all around us, uh, Greg. And, oh, and yeah. as you know, most change uh, is just thrust upon upon us. Uh, things we don't expect, things we don't ask for. And it's not that we're so in love with the past that we can't see a different future. It's what we do with these transition periods. And I think that's the real, that's one of the real areas where we learn about ourselves and we learn what it means to be authentic and to be empathic with others and to trust people uh, right. and to... Uh, have people believe that they might achieve more than they thought possible. And it's fascinating because you're right. I mean, there's the old adage that says the only constant in life is change. And you, you brought a point out there that I want to go back. And I don't think people think about enough. And that is change is thrust upon us. We didn't necessarily go seek the change always. And sometimes that's the most difficult change to deal with. Today, your company decides to downsize. A year ago, COVID decided to change our environments completely. Exactly. None of this was what we asked for. But, you know, where we see, uh, particularly as I think about uh, where we are in this transition relative to uh, the global pandemic, is how we manage through it uh, says a lot about who we are. And the more that we understand who we are, uh, we're able to exercise our ability to work and to uh, help others uh, to change, grow, and commit to something bigger than themselves. Exactly. Now, when we get before we get to authenticity, there's a part there that comes into play of integrity. And you, you, you know, you've got your book called Integrity by Design. So let let's start with the basics. How do you define integrity? In the context of our discussion, I think this is the best way to define integrity. To thine own self be true. Okay. Now, so what I, does that mean? 
I was going to say, I've seen it. Was, I also be true, be true to me. So okay. Uh huh. So I think it's uh, one having a strong moral and ethical compass, something that guides your decision making uh, day to day. We know that being a person of integrity means that you have this strong compass uh, by which your decisions will be made. And for me, those you know, typically operate out of a set of humanistic values, respect for the individual, finding uh, the worth that, uh, inherent in every person and uh, uh, person and thing on the planet, taking a bigger view of systems. But integrity applies to person of whole cloth, uh, someone that you, who will be truthful with you, someone who will be honest, um, someone who will have your best interests at heart and thereby uh, encourage authentic leadership and authentic change. So the question then is, and that's fascinating because you're right, you don't want somebody to be a yes person and just agree with everything you say, because that's not being authentic, that's not coming from integrity. But the question is, can integrity be learned? Well, now, organizations, organizations, Greg, aren't set up for this uh, uh, integrity. You know, most of it is uh, command and control, who's got power, who's on top, who's in the middle, who's on the bottom. And um, to be genuine, to be able to bring your whole self, and we know this from, let's just take all the issues uh, related to systemic discrimination, uh, that show up in every you know form of employment, whether you're a five-person company or a hundred-thousand-person company, um, we get an opportunity um, to exercise authenticity when we can be have this whole cloth sense of self to have a sense of integrity. Agree that companies aren't set up for it, and. But managers can be. <laughs> yes. That's and leaders can it's be. Individuals can be. That's and, right. You know, so in other words, and, uh, integrity often starts at home when we're two years old. There's a part of that too. Am I correct? Well, integrity is shaped by our values. Where do our values get formed? You know, those values are formed uh, early in life. Doesn't mean that uh, values can't be changed because values are selective. Right. right. We can't have every be a host for every value. Uh, we choose values that maybe help us with uh, promoting relationships or we might choose values that help us with uh, acquisition or we might choose values that help us with um, emphasizing well-being of some nature. So right. I think, you know, I'll come to a point uh, in terms with what our values mean. And so how yeah. can a how do we manager, express those in ways that make yeah. a difference? Exactly. So how can a manager be integrous in his or her manner and also instill that and draw that out from his or her followers? Sure. Uh, one easy way is to ask a question. <laughs> Okay. Uh, you, you know, gain some insight into uh, the other person. And then the second is to be aware of why you asked that question. You know, you know what, what, what is it that you were trying to do to advance uh, this person, to advance the inherent worth and dignity of that person? And if you're able to do that successfully as a team leader, I'm sorry, successively 
as a team leader, you see an impact on your work. Hey, there's a big difference. Uh, Greg, I, I, I'd be curious to see your experience. My experience is that generally people like to work for happy leaders and happy managers. Yes. They want, and they want to do a good job. I would say that probably 97% of the population go out there to do a good job and probably about two and a half percent go out there doing their job just because it's a job and get that microscopic piece that just doesn't give a hoot. Yeah. And so here's how we're, here's how we're going to thread this together then. So if we know that, uh, and the research bears that out as well, um, that people do enjoy working for happy leaders, happy managers, what creates a happy manager? And I'm not talking about the kind of happy, like the birth of your child, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, marriage. Yeah. I'm talking about a happiness that is sustained over time. You know, generally a team, that a team we know that what we can gets, expect of you. Yeah, but a, a manager is going to be happiest when his or her team is getting things accomplished in the way they want to. And he's, he or she's receiving the fruits of their benefits of what they've worked on. And the team is successful because I believe they, they want the team to be successful more so than themselves. Right, and hopefully um, they have alignment between their 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 organization's values, uh, their own personal values. I mean, that is the great. Uh, I think um, one of the greatest areas where we see misalignment is right. you know when people are out of alignment with their own values or with their organization's values. Happy people generally. <laughs> uh, hey, Greg, do you think that happy people are generally people of integrity? Maybe, but maybe not. I think some, right. people, some people can think they're happy because they have everything they want, but are they sleeping at night? So I don't know if they're happy. So it depends how we want to define happy there. Right. Or for, let's, let's take it in another direction. If you're a person of integrity and you're experiencing uh, stress at work because you see something being compromised. Yes. That also, you know, uh, 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 creates something. So I think when we talk about happiness, you know, or having the happy manager, which, you know, is a, is a sense of the, you know, the integral self, the authentic self, there's a, there is a, a, there, there's congruence. There's a congruence between what I think, right? And what I do. My words and actions match. And it's that kind of consistency when people can reliably expect you uh, to show up in a certain way over time, build on this foundation of integrity back to your question about, you know, when all these values get formed. Mm -hmm. I used to have a friend of mine used to always say, he's always looking for somebody who is consistent in their word and their deed. Right. And that, that defines that very clearly in that aspect. So I got the, the question comes up, of course, you've been involved in this line of work for a long period of time. Okay. What, what drives you to this? You know? I'm I'm, I am attracted to work with um, extraordinary people. And extraordinary people uh, show up in every level of an organization. And these extraordinary people are those who are um, working to create meaningful work for others. They're helping people to be productive. They're inspiring others. And they're working on things that matter. They're working on, you know, they, they see the relevance 
or the glory and everything that, you know, someone is tasked to do from, you know, work we might consider uh, of the most demanding physical nature to, you know, intellectual work. So what drives me is to, I'm attracted to goal-oriented people, people who um, see uh, a difference uh, a new possibility for themselves and they need to open a door uh, and you usually need just to open one door uh, into uh, a new area of opportunity, a new period of growth and really an advancement of mm -hmm. your personality and self. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating because one of the things you said right up front there was you can find this type of person at every level of an organization. Oh, Sure. And uh, there's a, there've been a couple of people over the years in the training classes I've done that literally work the overnight shift, janitorial staff, who are some of the most insightful, wonderful people, happy doing their job. And they're doing meaningless tasks by many people's standards, but it's not. And yeah. they, they bring so much to the table that way. Well, I think that's what, you know, people of integrity or leaders of integrity uh, do or, or, you know, you see the inherent dignity in the individual. Yeah. And that, that's fascinating. So people say, well, I'm just a blank, fill it in. And that, you know, I go back and say, you're never just anything. Right. You know, and, and you can see then how this not only affects, um, you know, culture in an organization, if you've got more of this going on, and, and I don't think we have very much authentic leadership going on in organizations. Uh, I, I think we have a lot of people uh, filling out, you know, routines. Let, let's take performance management. I mean, we've known forever that it's been a bad system. How many organizations are still doing it? I used to sell performance management systems uh, when I was a consultant. <laughs> consultant. So I, I, I'm guilty of that. But what have they really done for anybody? Yeah. I mean, standardized tests in schools, another one. Another one. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Exactly. So what would work better in something like that? Well, I think companies, leaders, executive teams need to devote more attention to authentic leadership. And that starts uh, in one way. And that one way is by being clear on the values uh, to which the organization aspires. Greg, I bet you can tell, I mean, the differences of values that show up in organizations um, that we interact with every day. Amazon is a different than a McDonald's versus uh, a Starbucks. All these organizations have, you know, you might call them similar values, but they also have values that are unique uh, to those mm -hmm. organizations. Yeah. And you enact that, people enact that in every day. You know, if you've got a business of two or three people, uh, people, you know, you have a business of 10 people, um, that leader and those values make a difference because they provide a framework for behavior. So in Jim Collins's book, and I made reference to this in several episodes of our podcast, in his book, Good to Great, back, what was it, almost oh, 10 a years long time ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm fascinated still by chapter three of that book called First Who, Then What. Okay, let's get the right people on the bus and get them in the right seats. So we got to find the right values in there for the right bus, and then we got to find the right values in the right seats. Am I on the right path there? Uh, absolutely on the right path. I think that Jim's Collins, Jim Collins paved a lot of that uh, 
in, in, those, in, in that book, uh, Good to Great. And even though, I mean, the results of most of the Good to Great companies have not been, uh, um, uh, have not been, they've not, they've not lasted. No, no, the they actually have the, not. And the principles seem to make uh, a lot of sense. Yes, the principles made sense for what got them to be a good to great company, but it was after they became good to great that some of those principles may have been compromised. That's right. You know, you look at Circuit City was one of those companies. That's right. You know, they had gone through there and they talked about Alan Wurzel, who was the founder of Circuit City. And I had the privilege to meet back in the early 80s when I actually worked at Circuit City before getting into careers of everything. And he was just an incredible man. I never really knew everything about what I know today. And he led on and the next level did very well. But then when they sold out and the new leadership came in, it totally changed the values in there. And that, that was the beginning of the end with Circuit City. Sure. And so we start to see. You have to think, well, what, you know, what's, what's common among, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, when we get that company that, that follows that, and then a leadership comes in, and it goes like to the old adage, I says, not so much today with the United States Navy uh, aircraft carriers, because they're so nuclear powered, it can do so many things. But in the old days, it used to take you literally over an hour to make a turn of a ship. Oh, that's like the Suez Canal in terms of contemporary <laughs> topics, right? <laughs> and so the thing is, the bigger the ship, so the harder it is to turn. And so a new CEO comes in with new values and new cultures and things. It's going to take years, but the board of directors never gives them enough time to do all that. There's such a short-term focus. And, you know, it's interesting to me because one, there's really only one common denominator for all organizations, organizations of any size in any industry, in any sector, is that they all expire. That's about the, you know, if you, look, if you want to look for a common denominator, it's that all organizations expire. But if you look at the companies that have sustained performance value, you can tie this back to families. Um, you, you want to think about a couple uh, companies. You want to think about Mars. You want to think about the Waltons. You want to think about the Roche uh, family. You want to think about the Marriott family. All uh, the, even Dell. I mean, with all of the exceptions, um, these companies that have uh, families at the top perform much better over time fi financially than other comparators in their um, in their like stock market sector. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it all has something to do with values and how those values get uh, transcended in an organization. And that's why you see long-term organizations. But these organizations, as you, as you speak of, and as I'm familiar with people where there's almost a daily, some organizations where there's, you know, clearly always a weekly revenue call, sometimes a daily revenue call. I mean, uh, it's just, uh, those places do not last. No, no. And it's fascinating because they're there for the quick buck, the quick hit and get out. Right. And it just uh, that doesn't work. Well, and there's it's nothing about wrong with that. I, mean, too. I think you can be authentic to that. You just have to be clear about the principles and the values that are guiding you there. Right. There's nothing inauthentic about that. No, no, you're absolutely right. There's not. And if you're if you're authentic about it and you're telling it up front like it is, that's even integrity. You know, so you're coming from it from that direction. And if you're really use, using your strengths, I mean, hopefully that are built again 
on this, you know, strong foundation uh, that you've established. So what is, I mean, we've kind of touched around this a little bit. Why is it to the advantage of organizations to lead from a place of authenticity, to lead from a place of integrity and just be genuine in there. Why is that so important today? Trust drives performance. Wait a minute, say that again. Trust drives performance. Exactly. And that's one of the key factors that I talk about all the time is trust is at the foundation of everything we do. Whether our colleagues have to trust us as a leader or whatever, and if we don't trust, then there's gonna be backstabbing. And it's a lot easier to trust a person of integrity, I think. A person who's aligned. Yeah. A person who's congruent. Who, yeah. you know, deeds and actions, words and actions, however you want to frame that. What have you noticed about companies or even managers within companies? Let's, let's, let's kind of break this down to a more micro level. And smaller teams, divisions, if you will, within a larger company, how can they have an impact on the larger company by leading and being integrity and authenticity? When those teams produce results, people pay attention. Simple. Very simple. But aren't we back to performance management? Oh, sure. But performance management doesn't have to be done in a way that gives you a number or a score you know, at the end mm -hmm. of every uh, quarter, it can be done in uh, different ways, particularly if you want to encourage trust. Right. Again, and even competition within teams, as long as it's driving the force for everybody is a healthy thing. Sure. Yeah. 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 In fact, it's important to have a variety of styles uh, in teams. And I think that's what authentic leaders do by getting to understand the person that they work with. I mean, and by working on our intimate and our professional relationships, um, the more that we're able to have that trust, the more that we're able to succeed. And, you know, never underestimate the power of pairs in organizations. It's often two people who, you know, start great things in, uh, in uh, you know, two people who build a team uh, up to five, to build an organization of 10, to build an organization of 30. Uh, it's all pretty remarkable to me. Right. So let me ask you this, and you're, you're spot on. And I, I, that make, I mean, go back to just Steve Jobs and uh, Wozniak. I mean, there's a classic example of how they built that. And granted, they had other problems down the road, but they still built from that. But is it possible for a manager to take people and put them together and then mix them up to be able to build a, a excuse the expression here, but to weave the influence throughout their, their entire team that way and draw that all in. Is that possible? Yes. It's possible by when a manager shows up authentically each and every day because he or she is going to do um, certain activities and actions that operate or drive out of that place of integrity. They're going to take an interest in the other person. They're going to ask a question. They're going to um, display their own biases. Uh, yes, that's possible to do that. And obviously, when we get that going in that direction, it's beneficial. So how do you take somebody, for example, that has served in the United States military, which is a very authoritative, autocratic leadership 
mindset for a long time. They step away from the military and now they get into uh, corporate America or a nonprofit group and trying to lead. That style of leadership doesn't always transcend because we're not building trust, yet they are being authentic. Am I right? Well, I don't think you have to be in the military to have that experience in organizations. There are many large organizations where it is, um, you know, shape up or ship out. Hmm, true. I mean, there Especially are many sales. Yeah, there are many organizations where um, the culture is so dominant and so prevalent in the organization that it is almost machine-like in its precision. And those can be great places to work for a lot of people. Right. Uh, you got to buy into that uh, approach. And I think you can really have a career that flourishes quite well in those kinds of organizations. And yet, you know, for many people, for, for a lot of talent today, in terms of attracting and retaining great talent, uh, people think more of networks. They think more of how do I connect uh, dots? They think more horizontally in organizations. And all of that, I think, are organizations that um, require uh, a reemergence of authentic leadership. These are the same things Bill George wrote about in, the, I think, you know, in the 1980s. Okay. But I had a gentleman in a training session years ago out of the military, and he said to me at the end, he said, whatever happened to leading from the stick? <laughs> it's like, wow. I just... <laughs> yeah. Because we were talking oh, about... You know, there's also the other... About. There's also the other side of that, which is leading from the carrot, because there are plenty of organizations, and I'm talking about big organizations, but, uh, or, you know, where they say, oh, well, if you do this, we'll, we'll give you that, you know, retention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the tenured professor, things of that nature. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That, that and, gets, and, that... and don't we all want to be cared for in that way, I think, in organizations? <laughs> Oh, yes. I think so. I think that's called retirement. Oh. <laughs> so is, can you tell when somebody is coming from a place of integrity and authenticity? Or how can, what are some telltale signs that somebody is or is not coming from one of those places? Well, um, it's when and people's You talked about it earlier with questions. I get that. Yeah. But what else? It's, it's when people's words don't match their actions. So for example, let's say that uh, you're a manager and you're meeting with somebody on your team and the manager says, I don't really know what you do. I mean, there's a perfect example or an opportunity to, uh, where someone, some manager has not behaved authentically or, or with integrity because they haven't taken an interest in the person. Are there certain questions? Or let's say there. Uh, let's say, are there certain questions that a manager can use to show their authenticity or to draw out the authenticity of somebody else? Do you have do you, are, are, you have some of those in your book that you can reference? Yes. Uh, what I would uh, recommend first is to share a feeling, and you only need to have one clear feeling a day. <laughs> but the ability to share a feeling. It's something that is often, it seems overlooked to me in organizational encounters because I see you as an element of my production, right? I need to get this done, Greg. I can't just like, get, you know, and I'm in a rush and I really don't have any time to listen. 
So I think the ability, um, you know, for a manager to express a feeling and then uh, secondly, to uh, create the kind of environment where an employee can also express a feeling, huh? How about that? That might be a great place for uh, everyone to start. And then that, that starts to open it up where guess what starts to develop? Trust. Trust. You know, and, and trust is so critical there. And we're not talking predictive trust of, uh, you know, John will do the job when he says he's going right. to do it. It's about vulnerability trust that I can share something with you. Okay, I can share something with Mike right now. And I know Mike's not going to turn around and use that against me six months from now. Boy, so right about that, Greg. And that, I think, um, is a person who is honest. And we haven't really talked about the role of honesty and integrity, but certainly it is a factor. And I like to compare the idea of honesty with the concept of transparency, because okay. transparency is so called for in today's organizations. And generally, I believe that, you know, if it can be found out, it will be found out. So transparency is a great practice to have. But there's a difference between being honest and, and transparent. Managers need to exercise transparency. But to be a person of integrity, you need to work your honesty. So if Mary or Harry tells me that um, they've got an illness and it's impacting them and it's impacted them for the last you know, five years, it's none uh, to be honest to myself, I need to maintain that confidentiality with them. Um, yes. And, you know, I think some people slip up on what it means to be honest and what it means to be transparent. People on the team say, you know, that Harry or Sally is always out of order. Um, you know, you have other approaches then. You can say, well, go talk with them or, mm -hmm. you know, but you need to maintain your honesty. I think that's what a person of integrity does. Yeah, well, exactly. And years ago, when I was in the mortgage business, I had a gentleman come to me who finally... He, he cracked and came to me and said he had a drug addiction problem and wanted to talk about it. I can't share that with other people. Hey, it shows up in the workplace all the time. You know, the issues that I've been confronted with a manager is you see someone on your team who is obviously a, a victim of spousal abuse. Mm -hmm. And what do you do? You, you know, you uh, do you look the other way when somebody doesn't record their vacation? I mean, these challenges are everyday challenges uh, that all of us face. And I think at the end of the day, you can't, you know, you need to have an organization uh, with values that support the ability to do the right thing. Right. And it's like, it's, it's, if you want to draw a line across a sheet of paper in above the line is everything that you allow to happen behavior wise within the organization and what you will not allow to have happen. Yeah. And being clear, you know, on what your company or what you have zero tolerance for. Exactly. You know, some companies, uh, you know, in some, in some countries, there are facilitation payments where it's a way of doing business. Uh, it's an established custom to make some sort of payment uh, through a third party or a broker. But you can, you can uh, as a company, have a zero tolerance policy around those kinds of facilitation payments because they might be uh, exploitative in some way. Yeah. And, and everybody's got a zero tolerance on certain things such as stealing and workplace violence, that type of thing. But I think they can be drawn out and be better defined within the organization. Am I right at that? Sure. And I think uh, what's important as a manager 
is knowing where you have uh, yardsticks of discretion and where you want to, you know, use a, a more um, a line of demarcation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I used to use the term red rules and blue rules. And I think that uh, comes with uh, experience. But yeah, there you go. Right. Yeah. Red rules cannot be broken. Blue rules, we can stretch them a little bit. So, and I also believe that, you know, team A can have slightly different ground rules than team B because they still are in congruency with the organization. And I think we're still being very integrous and authentic in that. Am I right? Yes, and uh, I'm working with a colleague. We're going to be uh, reframing again. It's not what you say, it's what you do. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to the old adage, the expression is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yes. You know, and I think that part of this uh, being authentic means getting clear on the, um, the agreements that you make with people. I think about it in terms of contracts. You know, all of us make commit commitments and obligations to each other. You know, the old story about the, you know, boy with marbles and the girl with uh, a lot of candy. They're so envious and uh, maybe they're in such admiration of each other's um, possessions, the boy's marbles, the girl's uh, candies that they agree to make an exchange. And what the boy does is he takes one of his uh, marbles and he hides it. So he shortchanges the girl the next day. And I think, you know, it just undermines all, it's just that, that illustration underscores all of the, uh, you know, interactions that we have with people need to come out of some place of integrity and trust. Otherwise, boy, it's just a... It's a snowball. The snowball. Yeah. And, and as, as I think, you know, and, and I'm fond of the conventional wisdom in this regard too, that uh, the cover up is always worse than the lie. Oh, wow. You're, you're so right at that point. You know, if you, if you come up front, admit you made a mistake, but it's the cover up that will screw you up every time. Yeah. 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 It's easy to move on at the lie. I made a mistake. I was wrong. I didn't have the right information. I was foolish. You know, there are a million reasons <laughs> to be forgiven. Yeah. And it's, that's so powerful at that point because it, it builds vulnerability trust. It starts to get the team back together. It gets coherence and cohesion pulled together all the way across the board. Maybe that's the lesson that we take uh, today, Greg, as we make you know, integrity uh, by design an everyday item in leadership is that we create a list of you know, 100 ways to forgive somebody. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm writing that one down. You know, that that's a way that we can start to iron out our integrity. Boy, that would be, that is powerful. Yeah. And I want to start it off just like I start every day with a gratitude list of what I'm grateful yeah. for. I'll turn around now and say, okay, how can I forgive five people today? There you go. You know, I think I, I, I even like your more positive spin on it. I mean, or, or different spin on it. Right. I mean, um, you know, what are five? What are five ways that um, I can express gratitude today? Yeah, it's yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I try to do that every morning while I walk the dog. You know, it's what can I do to be grateful? What am I grateful for? And I, I say those things out every day. Boy, that's um, your actions match your words. Then it sounds like you've got some integrity. I try. Yeah. 
as Yoda would say, do or do not, there is no try. <laughs> is that a Yoda I see behind you? There? That is a baby Yoda. Yes, That's it what is. I thought. That's yeah. what reminded me of that. Groku, right, Groku. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, maybe he's an oracle for all of us. Yes, and that's, that's just it. I mean, we've got to go out there and do our best. There's the old cliche of just do your best, and that's absolutely right. And getting ourselves to be there and understand that it's not just for ourselves, that we're there for everybody on our team. And Well, that's true. You know, um, I'm amazed today just driving on the road, and you're out there in you know, the San Francisco area where traffic is atrocious. I'm here in the D.C. area where traffic is atrocious. atrocious. And I call something the uh, hood ornament syndrome. It's about a car who flies up behind you, zips around you, cuts in front of you, nosedives down off the freeway ramp just to get to a stoplight because they couldn't see past the hood ornament in front of them. Yes. And they go through life that way that they're only focused on themselves. Right. And so we've got to stop thinking that direction and thinking about how can we help others along our way. And when we do that, that's helping us act with our integrity because we may say well, it's a, we're going to do it. Great way that... Go ahead. It's another great way. I was just going to say it's a, you're giving another wonderful example of an everyday exercise of integrity. There's always conflict in organizations, right? The needs and wants of two or more people or two or more teams differ. Uh, it's, it's a natural part of organizational life of uh, teamwork and you know, small companies, big companies, every size, uh, every size group that we participate in. When we, what an authentic leader can do or a person of integrity uh, is just help people look up to the next level, right? And if you can usually get it up to a high enough level to think about, you, you know, your customer or some, you're usually yeah. headed in the right direction. Yeah. There's the old ad that says, dress for the job, not that you have, but for the job that you want. Yes. Even more so is do the level of work, not for the job that you have, but for the job that you want. Yes. And I would just say that, you know, in terms of authentic leadership and uh, integrity, it is to really, um, you know, bring all of your, I mean, to bring your best to every situation uh, that you have. Wow. We've covered a lot here. We've been on the air for about 40 some minutes already. It's fascinating. And there's so many things in here that can go. And this is one of those topics, I believe, that can go down multiple tentacles of paths all the time. Now, your it affects book, our it, work life and it affects our uh, intimate life, our, our, our home absolutely. life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's no doubt about that. Now, your book, Integrity by Design, is that for a workplace or how does that, how does that uh, fit into things? It fits into uh, these core concepts of uh, work and life. Uh, I mean, the ability to say that I can separate my work and my life, uh, you know, it's sort of nonsensical, right? We think about what's the right kind of blend that we have. And often the issues that shape our integrity, you know, are, aren't issues that are developing perhaps in the workplace, but they're issues that develop in the teams that we coach, the sports teams that we coach, the civic groups that we participate in church groups that you might be involved in, uh, community organizations. I mean, these are all organizations and part of our uh, fabric that shape our integrity and our ability to have others want to follow us. Absolutely. Wow. It's a great way to wrap things up today. I really, really appreciate that, Mike. You know, um, 
hopefully we can get you back on here, uh, you know, some other time. We can go into this a little deeper and talk about more things. How can everybody uh, get a hold of your book, Integrity by Design? Well, I'd like everybody to go to Amazon May 11th and purchase Integrity by Design, uh, Working and Living Authentically. And the best place to uh, start your journey with me is at uh, Mike-Horn, H-O-R-N-E.com. And if you want to start there at Mike-Horn.com, uh, uh, start by downloading one of the free eBooks, taking a look at the blog, uh, and there'll be links to purchase uh, the book as well. Awesome. We'll put that into our notes page in case you missed that going through here right now. It'll be back on the page that you can get Mike's uh, email address, or excuse me, his website. His LinkedIn address is also going to be available there so people can connect with you on LinkedIn. It's, uh, it's fascinating. Your information is timeless and essential all at the same time. Especially as we enter this new world of work, Greg. Oh, I so appreciate uh, having an opportunity to spend some time with you today, Greg, really just uh, and for your interest in uh, authentic leadership and integrity. Well, I absolutely love this. And it's, it's just powerful that you've done this. And I greatly appreciate your time. I know how valuable time is. So and you're up uh, pretty early there on the, uh, uh, the West Coast this morning. So I appreciate that. You know, until next week, you know, Teamwork Advantage, listening to it, you know, you're not average. Just a few minutes. Every single week on the Teamwork Advantage, you get impactful ideas that you can use immediately. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, you know you're not average. So remember, do not make today a good day because that's being average. Make today an excellent and exceptional day. Till next week. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.